In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. We've got a huge show for you today as training camp may or may not be happening this week. Rookie minicamp is, and the season is getting closer and closer in theory. We'll go into that. We've got news and notes coming up, a lot of news and notes this week. We've got camp battles that we're excited about, a little bit of CBA talk, and some of the CFL rule changes, which we haven't really had a chance to address. We're going to give you our Argos spin on them and why some of these changes may be advantageous to Toronto and why one of them may not be. All of that and more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. News and notes. JB, after the draft, DJ Foster, running back for the Toronto Argonauts, I guess asked for his release. The way it was worded from the club seemed to be that he was granted his release. So that suggests to me he asked to be let go. Uh, I'm disappointed in this. I'm not surprised because clearly to me, the Argos are looking to go Canadian at the running back position with Adebaboye and Harris in the backfield. And so DJ Foster, maybe not wanting to be used as a slot back, wants to be, you know, a true ball carrier, uh, just didn't see him really playing out here in Toronto. That's to me, I think that's a big loss. Your thoughts? Uh, I don't think big loss. It, it, it seems to me that likely he had some American interest and uh, the Argos were good enough to, to let him go chase that. I, I don't think they would immediately cut him before camp. Um, to let him go sign with another CFL team because, you know, you never know what's going to happen at camp. Um, but, you know, look, I, I like DJ Foster. We talked a lot about him last year. Obviously, he really popped his first game. I don't know if they really figured out how to use him. He's kind of like a 10-carry-a-game guy. So, like, is he a game-breaker? No. I, I, I'm okay with him with him heading on. You know, I, I liked what he did for the Argos. I, I think he's a good player, but I, I I don't think he's a, you know, I don't think he's a foundational or 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 a serious uh, part of the team this year. So I'm okay with it. Yeah, and I don't think he's, a, you know, a huge foundation of the team that way, but I did really like him lining up in the slot, coming across on those jet sweeps, not only on the actual carries and we saw a couple highlight reel carries and touchdowns that he had on that same play last year where you had white in the backfield and foster came in from the side but the fakes that opened up gaps in the middle and now you open up running lanes i really liked him in combination with the downhill running that you know we're probably going to see a little bit more this year from harris so to me that is a loss the argos have other guys that can fill in that way you know, they're going to have some speed probably from the slot back positions and they can still use that jet sweep action. But yeah, Foster really did excel at that. So I'm going to I'm going to miss him anyway. All of the draft picks signed JB, except for Deontay Knight. And this includes the three players selected in the global draft. And you know, you got 11 of 12 guys drafted that day signing. That's a positive, but it's it's too bad Deontay Knight isn't under contract yet, but I don't think that's a big surprise. He's supposed to be attending minicamp in Tampa Bay this weekend. And I would imagine, you know, if things go well there, obviously we're not going to see Deontay Knight for a while. But if they don't, I would imagine he would sign shortly after that and, and he'll show up to training camp almost immediately following, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I mean we only got him, I, I think, because of that. I think he slid 
because I'm sure his people talked to teams and said that they had every intention of trying out the American uh, opportunity before signing. I, I imagine that factored into his slide past Edmonton a little bit. Um, so that's fine. I, I mean, we were talking, I, I don't know how many players other than offensive linemen have gone from Canadian football to the NFL. Um, so, you know, like to not have been invited to the combine, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Look, we'll see. But I, he, he doesn't, it doesn't, I would be surprised. I'll put it that way. Uh, and that's no knock on him. Like, you know, it's just, you know, look, it, it's, it's a size and measurement thing. You know, NFL players are, you know, from Mars and CFL players are from, I'll say from Venus. I mean, CFL players are incredibly elite, but the, the, the size and the speed of the NFL is, is superhuman. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him back in camp and, you know, good luck to him and, you know, take your shot at the, at the, at the big league. Um, I'm, I'm okay with it, but I, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that we will see him back in the fold. And one of the guys I'm really excited about signing was, uh, John Haggerty, the punter from Western Kentucky. I wasn't sure if we would see him or not, because remember, the Argos drafted Max Duffy last year, a punter who I was also excited about, and he he never came. And so him signing a contract to me suggests that he will be there tomorrow uh, at training camp, you know, for, for mini camp and, and from there on in. And I really think he has a shot at the punting job because... He's not only an exceptional punter, but some of these rule changes do kind of factor into uh, some of his strengths. And we'll talk about that later on and when we get to our segment on rule changes and how they may favor the Argos. But yeah, I'm really excited about John Haggerty. It's unfortunate that we've now got two Jay Haggertys uh, on the Argos along with D. Amos. What were the odds of that? That had to be high. Jay Haggerty and D. Amos, uh, we now have to uh, go a little further on both jerseys and on my depth chart. I was working that out, trying to figure out, all right, I got to put in, got to put in D apostrophe uh, Amos and D.A. Amos and uh, a little J.O. Haggerty. And now Haggerty is spelled differently, actually, so you don't have to do it with that. It's it's H-A-G-G for the punter and a single G for the safety. So I guess that's uh, slightly less confusing. But anyway, I'm excited about uh, about seeing uh, John Haggerty, the punter, uh, in minicamp. And, you know, we'll we'll see how that works out for them. But yeah, I wasn't sure if, if he would sign and attend. Excited he will be. A, a similar story, Trey Ford, and this is kind of Argos related because there were a lot of Argos fans that were really hoping the Argos would sign quarterback Trey Ford. Uh, who ended up getting picked uh, before Toronto had that opportunity uh, by the Edmonton Elks. And so, you know, he had been mocked to Toronto in a lot of mock drafts. A lot of, There was a lot of talk about how Toronto had interest in both Ford brothers. And he ends up going to Edmonton. Interesting to see that he decided to go to Edmonton's minicamp this week, their rookie camp, instead of going to the New York Giants rookie camp, which would be at the same time. So Trey Ford went to Baltimore's camp that he was invited to last weekend. And he was invited to this weekend's New York Giants camp. He said, no, thank you. I'm going to Edmonton instead. 
probably because New York wanted him to play different positions. They had talked about bringing him in, trying him out at quarterback, but also trying him out at, you know, wide receiver or wherever else to take advantage of his speed. Do you think that was enough to get him to say, no, thanks, I'm going to Edmonton? Yeah, I, I, I think he wants to be quarterback, and that's great for the CFL. I mean, that, you know, that has been traditionally the kind of sweet spot for the CFL, even for non-Canadians, is we, we like guys who the NFL wanted to turn into wide receivers to come up and play quarterback. So, you know, there's a long tradition of that. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to see that he's going to rightfully get to come up here and and be a quarterback. I mean, you know, that's why Warren Moon came in. It goes back that far. So I'm excited for that. Uh, you know, I don't know if the Giants totally know what they're doing. Um, Baltimore had him for a look, but they don't need a scout Lamar. So maybe, you know, maybe a team goes looking for him as a scout Lamar, but, uh, I'm, I'm excited for him to come up to Edmonton and, and put some, put some good film together. I think that's the smart move for him. I think you, you get a feeling like when you're at camp, whether, you know, like this is a real look or, you know, you're going to be, you know, you're just a, a you know, a program guy. So he probably felt that vibe and, you know, come to Edmonton, play who for who likes you. I would love to hear the conversation in New York. <laughs> like, uh, so wait, wait, why isn't, why isn't Trey Ford attending minicamp? Oh, he's going to stay in Edmonton. Uh, yeah. Edmonton. Uh, I love that. Yeah. I think that's no, fantastic. That's great. No, 100%. I, you know, I, I hope he's really successful. I think that that's a, a calling card of the CFL of, of letting, uh, you know, black quarterbacks play quarterback and not trying to turn them into positional players. Yeah, and it's been going on for a long time in the league, like you said. Um, you know, Warren Moon, Conrad Holloway, there's there's so many examples. So, And I hope they do use him as a true quarterback in Edmonton. I hope that's the goal. I hope it is not just razzle-dazzle, you know, two quarterbacks on the field at the same time, one of those rules we're going to talk about in a later segment. Well, maybe I, I hope that's not the plan for him. You could play with Arbuckle, and Arbuckle can toss it to him when they want to throw to the right. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just no it's the left that Arbuckle never throws to isn't it i can't remember on that I've, left side I've, of the field i flush i have flushed the Arbuckle era all right that's fair let's talk about another signing the argos made um mustaba uh, mary uh offensive lineman right tackle for university of toronto mustaba was in camp last year for the argonauts uh, he didn't end up making it through last cuts he was really needed at the time. They were so down on Lyman. He came in and was an absolute pro, did what he was asked to do. And no surprise that the coaches brought him back because you you want guys like that. And those are the kind of guys that you are going to give another look to. Someone that comes in and does exactly what they're supposed to do is a team player, is a team first guy. You're looking you know, to, to bring guys into camp. Uh, for sure, give that guy another call. So, you know, he'll get another shot with the Argos uh, in training camp. I was really happy to see that. It's a guy that did all the right things, and here he is back again. Charleston Hughes, JB, <laughs> signs with the Rough Riders. Good move, bad move. We saw him pretty close last year. Well, I mean, the Rough Riders are my number one uh, power pole team. Who am I to question? Uh, my <laughs> number one team, you know, maybe... I mean, we, we talked about this last year. Charleston came and was asked to do way more than he ever should have been asked to do. I thought he did uh, a damn fine job considering the number of snaps. Um, 
if if the Rough Riders want to bring him in for 10 snaps a game, it's probably worth a look. I, I didn't see, even with that, I didn't see the speed. I didn't see it, but yeah, maybe maybe you get 10 snaps a game out of him. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't I. I I don't think so, but uh, you know he's he's got a he's got a history there, so uh, they probably wanted to, to to give him a shot. Yeah, he's a he's a legend in Saskatchewan. I I like him ending his career there. That feels right to me, and I think he will. I don't think he's going to play nearly as much as he was playing when healthy in Toronto before uh, before he sat. Uh, but I think it's a little different, too, in that what they were asking him to do in Toronto, there were so many occasions where he was part of like a three-man rush. And you're looking at like, well, why is he not getting sacks? Well, so we're, we're rushing three guys. <laughs> no, he was double gapping. They're like, Charleston, double gap 25 times a game. Like, right. What? <laughs> right. Hey, how come he's only got two sacks? <laughs> I mean, he probably hadn't double gapped in 10 years. Right. Yeah. So I full credit to Charleston. I thought he gave everything for the Argos and, you know, they, they wrote him hard and hung him up wet, as they say. So I'm glad that he's getting another shot. And I'm glad we got the Charleston Hughes experience. It was fun to have him as part of the team. You know, he was great in, in interviews and press conferences. Uh, you know, he, he, he was serious. He was also uh, you know, a comedian at times too. He had, you know, knew his moments and knew when, knew when to joke and knew when it was about football. And and I thought uh, just you know handled himself really well here. So I was happy to have had a little bit of that experience. So happy to see him back in Saskatchewan. Training camp back at the University of Guelph this year, JB. Other than the long commute for us. I think this is a good move. It's a state-of-the-art facility. It's one of the best in youth sports. It's uh, great for them because everything's there on site from residents to the you know, state-of-the-art workout facilities, great locker room facilities. And you've got the stands there as well in the multiple fields. You can go over to grass to work. You can you can work on the, on the turf field. And it's really nice turf field, not... Uh, you know, one of those overused carpets that you see in so many fields. So I, I think it made complete sense. I'm not at all surprised. But they're also going to be hosting the second preseason game at the University of Guelph. So against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And it wasn't that long ago that that was their home field for a year where, while uh, Tim Hortons Field was, was being constructed. That's where the Tiger Cats played. So that is definitely, you know, we're not unaccustomed to it not feeling like a home game sometimes when the Argos and Ticats play. I feel like that University of Guelph game may skew a little bit towards the yellow and black. Yeah, that'll, that'll definitely be a danger, but uh, I think it makes sense on every level. You're, you know, you, there's no point putting 5,000 fans in BMO for an exhibition game. Um, you know, the, the atmosphere will be way better out there. You don't have to get on a bus and drive to your practice field. I think everything about it is compact. You're out of the you're out of the spotlight. You can just kind of bunker down and have camp the way you want to have camp. Uh, I think it's a no-brainer. And what I love about it is it's not a wind tunnel. Like so many football fields around southern Ontario are. Like Tim Hortons Field is a wind tunnel. BMO gets wind tunnel-y at times. Uh, Alumni Stadium in, in Guelph, it's at the, you know, it's in a valley. And so you're sort of sheltered, protected. It, it doesn't it doesn't get too bad. Now, the weather in Guelph, for some reason, was bizarre last year. I remember, you know, we were there throughout August and I was wearing a coat some days. I had my umbrella out almost every single day, uh, sunshine and then torrential downpours. Hopefully it's not like that 
this training camp. But yeah, I, I think it's a very logical place to play. And it's a wonderful place to watch football. I'm excited about that preseason game. And I'm excited to watch training camp. So yeah, we've, we've got uh, a lot of things to look forward to. JB, there's a ton of good camp battles in training camp this season. I, I want to go through some that I'm excited about. And I want to hear camp battles that you're maybe looking most forward to. So where's your number one? What do you, you know, when we, we sit down and watch, what's the first thing you're going to take a look at in training camp this year? Um... It's probably a tie. I'm a bit of a cop out. I mean, I think I think wide receiver and defensive back are both really rich um, positionally. I think there's lots of talent there. Probably, if I had to choose wide receiver, uh, I think that that wide receiver room is packed full of potential. He said alliteratively. Um, so, you know, I, I think wide receiver is the most interesting. Probably where the most surprising cut is going to come from. Um, although, I don't know if, you know, I hate to throw names out there. I mean, you know, cause like, I'm not making light of any of this. These are people, you know, working jobs, raising money, you know, we're earning money for their family. Um, but there's probably a defensive back I have my eye on who might be a cut and there's a wide receiver on my, I have my eye on. Uh, I think everywhere else, maybe not, I, you know, defensive end or defensive line linebacker, Offensive line, you know, I think those are okay, but they're not, those are not overflowing positionals. I think, I think those are going to be pretty, pretty chalk. The receiver question is interesting to me because I'm trying to decide because they basically got six starting caliber receivers, guys who have always been starters. So you've got Darius Daniels, Eric Rogers, Brandon Banks, uh, Markeith Ambles, Juwan Breskison. And Curly Gittens Jr. is obviously going to be on the field after the amazing season he had last year. So that's six guys. And I guess my question is, are they fighting for five starting spots right. or are they fighting for five jobs? So is whoever doesn't make it to the starting lineup of those six guys, whoever isn't starting of those six, will they be released? Will they be traded? Is there, are they? Is that it for them? Because they've got so many guys that are just behind them. Yeah, you know, we, we've we've got five or six guys easily that I'm excited to see who aren't maybe a, in the conversation for starter. You know, I mean, Brissett. I don't think there's any chance he gets cut this year. No. You know, um, they got some new guys they brought in. Yeah, I, I think it's really you know it's it's really interesting how many wide receivers they're going to keep. Um, Got, you know, certainly they needed everybody they could get their hands on last year, but oof, I, that's I don't, the thing. I mean, they lost I, so I many see, games last year. I can see nine too. wide receivers. Like I could easily make the case for nine wide receivers breaking. Oh yeah. If if you had no limit. Well, last year they they lost so many games due to injury yeah. in that positional group, right? Like Breskison was was gone in week two for for what ended up being most of the season. Braverman was out early in week three for, for most of the season. Uh, we saw Devers Daniels go down for a little bit. Eric Rogers was out for a really long time. And so is that what Coach Dinwiddie's thinking? He's like, we need six starting caliber receivers and some guys to complement them because we're going to probably lose a few guys. It was a short season last year, and yet they lost most of the receiving core for at least a few games. So maybe that's what it, that's kind of what I hope is going to happen because I don't want to see any of these guys go. I'm excited to see all, all six of those guys plus four or five of these other guys. Like I, I can't wait to see Isaiah Wright. Uh, I'm really excited 
uh, about seeing Darius Robertson. You know, he's a guy that I'm I'm really excited to see uh, his speed. And, you know, the, a couple of Canadian guys too, like Sam Baker, uh, we saw him a little bit in training camp last year, but he was sort of, they, they kind of had him as like a pseudo fullback. And I think he's going to play more of that sort of Breskison style slot back role this year. And so there's a ton of guys to uh, to go out and watch in this positional group. Yeah, really exciting. You're, yeah, you're dealing with like 20 guys. So yeah, that's that's my number one positional group. Now you talked about DBs. Uh, specifically with me, it's Sam Backer because of the Chris Edwards suspension. So we're without Chris Edwards to start the season. I want to see early on who they have sort of auditioning for that job, for that Sam Backer spot, because they could go multiple places. Uh, Robertson Daniel, we know, has played there. Shaq uh, has played there as well. I wonder about some of the guys that we haven't seen yet, like Tristan Deku, James Sample, uh, D'Angelo Amos, maybe. So, like, I started looking into where these guys had lined up most in college or in their last stops. Because if you look at Edwards, he makes so much sense as a sandbacker because, you know, he played all over the place. Like, in college, he was a box safety. He was a nickel corner. He played free. He rushed the passer, like, you know, one-fifth of the time. So... You know, that that has Sam Backer all over. He does everything. And when you look at some of those new guys, I, I think D'Angelo Amos probably has the most similar resume, you know, being a free, being a, a nickel corner, being a, a box safety. Um, you know, maybe Sutton as well, the draft pick, uh, Eric Sutton. I don't know if he's going to be quite ready for that yet. He's a little underweight for, for that spot yet, but I do like him uh, in that spot. He was a nickel corner, a box safety corner. Uh, and sample as well, free safety, box safety. He's pretty physical, but his coverage is good. So, yeah, that's that's kind of a. I don't know if it's a battle. I'm just more curious to see who they have there because it could be so many different guys. It could really. I think it could really be um, a break. Uh, maybe a break, but I think it could be something the Argos can use. Is that with Edwards out, if they can, you know, not leak oil out of that position. And Edwards comes back. I mean, that's like making an amazing midseason trade. I mean, he comes back shot out of a cannon. And I thought he was one of the best players in the CFL the first six games last year. Yeah, I mean, he was. You bring him in and he's ready and fit and, and, and ready to rock. I think that's going to be an absolute shot of adrenaline. So I, I'm really, yeah, you look at the defensive backfield. I mean, I love it. I love what they've built there. I think... You know, I think it's it's really nice, and I think they're probably going to lose somebody or 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 make a trade because they're they're going to cut somebody who's quality. The other position I'm interested in seeing is what they do at right tackle. Uh, in my depth chart, which you can check out on xsandargos.com, I put out a new sort of pre-camp, post-draft depth chart, and we got 104 names on it because there's so many guys on the roster right now. I don't know what they're going to do at right tackle. I kind of think they're going to make it American. They may not. That's how I've set it up. So, you know, I've got Tate and Ivy listed as, as right tackles. They may decide to go with the guys that they brought in to be tackles in Theron Churchill and Dylan Giffen. They were supposed to be tackles. I, I challenged Vince Magri on that when, when he was on the show uh, after that draft. And I, and I said, you know, I, I personally see... Theron Churchill as a guard, tell me what I'm missing. And and he went through it and he told me why he believed he would turn into uh, an excellent tackle. He was a you know a right tackle in university and Magri believed he could continue to be that in the CFL. And yet last year, 
they weren't used that way. Both of those guys, Giffen, uh, Churchill, and you can throw Shane Richards into the mix too. Another guy that played right tackle um, at uh, Oklahoma or Oklahoma State rather, um, and has only really been used at guard. Is one of those three guys going to be the right tackle? My thought is no, because you look at the Edmonton game last year, the game that meant nothing, the last game of the regular season, the Argos put in basically all their backups and guys they wanted to kind of have a look at. And Churchill and Richards were both playing, but they were starting at guard. And they had Ivy starting at tackle. And so if that's what they did in that game, to me, that that's the move going forward. So that's why I don't think we're going to see Churchill and Giffen playing right tackle. I, I hope they do, though. I would love to have four Canadian linemen. There's so many cool ratio possibilities on this team. And if you take a look at that that depth chart and start playing around with it a little bit, um, there, there's so many great options. If you have four Canadian linemen and you've got a Canadian running back starting, well, now suddenly, and also you're guaranteed to have a, a safety, Canadian safety starting, and Mwamba, middle linebacker, you know, that's it. Like, you, you've covered everything now. It means you don't need uh, to have... You don't need to have a Canadian defensive lineman starting. You don't need to have any Canadian receivers starting. And not that I think they'll go that way with guys like Curly Gittins Jr., but it just gives you so many flexible options. Because you could, of course, have Gittins Jr. in, but like sub him out if you're not looking at Z as a, as a Canadian position. There's so much stuff you can do there. So I'm really excited to see that spot because that could open doors uh, in, in a big way. JB, let's talk about the CBA uh how do you read this situation right now <laughs> uh well it's disappointing that we're talking cba again um and that we're not able to kind of fully embrace this return to a normal cfl season uh, i don't know why the owners uh do not realize that they have some momentum and that you know to to just transition into a season without any um, complications is what they should be looking to do. So, like, it is disappointing that we're talking about it. God knows we talked enough about CBA during the lockdown. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know what the owners are getting at. It, it they seem to feel they have incredible leverage, and they are trying to steamroll the players' association. I, you know, we talked about this. I don't know why they insist on that relationship, on a combative American style, you know, core plantation, if you will, philosophy where we're the boss and we'll tell you what the rules are. And I, I don't know why they do that, especially when the pie isn't that big. Like if, if ever there were a league where the players and the owners should be closer together in terms of keeping this thing afloat and working together. It, it's this league, but for some reason they think they're the NFL. And I, I, I don't know why they feel they have that leverage. Um, and it's really disappointing when you look at, you know, they want 10 years. That's ridiculous. No cap increase. That's ridiculous. They want to get rid of the Canadian ratio. I mean, what, what, where is this coming from? It, it has to be coming from one or two, owners who are basically just bullying the other owners. I, I can't imagine that those prairie teams are like, yeah, let's blow up the CFL and break the union. Like what, what that's your first thing? Like, okay, CFL's back. Great. Let's break the union. What, 
it's it's to me it's idiotic. What are what are you, what are you doing going for this ten year slam dunk? You know, crushing CBA. Like what 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 has made you feel like you want to punish the players who who have done so much in the last two years to keep your damn business afloat? And this is how you repay them with you know with like. I'm, you know, Walmart style. Well, we'll just close and move. You know, come on, owners, get your, get your life together. There are a few things that jump out to me when they talk about ratio changes because there's been some mixed information on that. We heard initially that they were trying to eliminate ratio, and then news broke that they, in fact, were talking about in-game changes, not necessarily um, starting roster ratios. And to me, any talk of ratio is sort of designed to divide the union because you've got American and Canadian players. 100%. And talk of ratio, you just bring that up, and now suddenly you've got infighting within the union because you've got a very different point of view on that if you're American or if you're Canadian. And so to me, that's the only reason that's being brought up. I don't think there's anything else there. And like you said, it just, yeah, it just reminds you of... of what, like, where is this coming from? If it, In all honesty, if it's not coming from MLSE, like where is this sudden desire to get Canadians out of the CFL coming from? I, like, I don't, I don't understand why owners of the Canadian Football League are suddenly saying, you know what? Why don't we have less Canadians in this league? I, I mean, I don't, I can't imagine what franchise is pushing for that. Um, you know, I don't think they really are. That's the thing. I, that, I think it's just a negotiation tactic. Maybe. I don't think they're actually pushing for that at all. But yeah, you know, I don't be. know. We're not in the room. Yeah, we, we, be, we don't right? know. But I mean, that's you know, I hate that kind of you know, yeah. put a oh, radical thing on the table, and then you you know you negotiate it away, and then you take all the other junk because. You took away their disingenuous radical offers. It's such, you know, I, it really frustrates me. I think it's such a disrespectful, you know, way of doing business. It's not business, you know, like it's business. It's not. You can be a business person and not be a disingenuous jerk. Well, or maybe, and, maybe, maybe. And the the tenure plan with no salary cap increase. First of all, ten years for a football CBA. Like how many, what percentage of the players currently in the CFL currently as a part of this union are going to see this contract through if it's 10? You don't make a a deal with that kind of length uh, for this sort of, you know, you're talking about guys that are, you're talking about players that are currently in high school who are going to be playing into that, that CBA. It's, it's way too long. We we forget the salary caps up just on its own. That's too long a deal. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I'm not in favor of changing it every year and having negotiations every year. I, I agreed, right? Like, I think. Look, I think a four year deal is reasonable. You know, you Perfect. you don't want to just constantly be perpetually negotiating deals. But ten years. I mean, what what are they putting on the table for this for the players' association to agree to ten years? Like, you know, are, are you giving them a raise? I mean, what what could you potentially offer them? It it just feels to me like they're just coming guns a blazing. Um, and I, I don't know. I just can't, I can't get behind. I mean, of course I'm always going to be pro player. You know, this is a fairly biased point of view I have, but I just don't see it. I don't, I don't see the rationale for 10 years. I, I don't see, I don't see how they can with a straight face suggest 10 years, um, is a reasonable length of, of, of CBA, you know, I mean, who knows, you know, where we're going to be in 10 years. Um, I mean, I love their optimism that the CFL will be here in 10 years. 
I, I don't think the CFL often uh, imagines itself in 10-year gaps because uh, look, it's this tough. It's a tough world to keep to keep going. So I don't know. I didn't like that. I didn't like how they were trying to increase padded practice. Um, I didn't like how they were trying to uh, to increase how they were able to impact the amount of practice time a week in terms of you know personal safety. You know, I, I've I've been on the record a long time. I think the CFL should be the world leader in safety. I mean, if if we're not fighting for player safety where the stakes are so reasonable, what what hope do we have? Of course, the NFL, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. That's, you know, I'm not naive to think that that's going to be an area where they're going to really break down. But for the CFL, I mean, we should absolutely be the the standard for for safety and protection and and looking after players and be able to to tell kids who are starting football that look this is a league this is a sport that cares about the safety of its players uh, you know i don't i don't know why they don't uh, it's really frustrating and the lack of salary cap increase for that span as well i'm going back a second from you know what we were just saying and talking about safety but going back to 10 years and the the no salary cap increase with the rate of inflation as it currently is i think that i think the padded practices that you've talked about the safety issues that you talked about like we said before i put those all in together with the ratio changes i think almost every single one of these things is just something they know that they're going to receive um, some pushback on that they're actually prepared to take away in exchange for something else. So I, I think these are all disingenuous things. I don't actually think the owners care that much about the padded practices. I don't think they care that much about the ratios, all that stuff. I, I think most of the issues that we've heard leaked that are outrageous are not really genuine issues. I think they're, I think it's strategy. And again, like I said before, I, I find that upsetting because that's, that's not what this should be about. If I just to kind of put a bow on it from my perspective, I I do believe that all of this stuff is going to dissolve. I think that you know the owners kind of are stretching their legs and and feeling uh, ownery after maybe having to make concessions that they weren't very happy about in the last two years. But the reality of shutting this league down after they just got everything out of storage and we're trying to have some sense of normalcy. I just can't imagine that that is going to be something they're going to accept and that they will sign a shorter deal and punt on this and come back to it in three years. I just can't believe that they would be willing to to create a problem. I really don't. I mean, if, if they do, I, I you know, I would, well, I'll have another rant, but I, I just don't think the owners will. I think they kind of, took their ownership out for a walk and I think normalcy will will rule the day. Hopefully by the time you're listening to this podcast, there's been some news on that because apparently there's going to be another uh, proposal offered tomorrow uh, for the from the owners to the Players Association because you know we're we're kind of running out of days here. The union's telling its quarterbacks not to show up to to rookie mini camp, which they were supposed to do. Um, they were advising players not to travel. The owners quickly came out and said, "Well, hang on, we're gonna we will feed you, we will accommodate you, uh, even if there is a legal strike." 
um, because most teams are going to be or are in a legal strike position, I think, with the exception of the Alberta teams. And so, uh, you know, with all this going on, maybe, maybe by the time we get to midday Wednesday, we're hearing positive news and this new proposal is far more reasonable and we can get back to thinking about the excitement of 2022 CFL football. Also, uh, you know, I, I meant to mention it last week, but shout out to Dave Naylor for having his NFL helmet turned sideways. Um, you know, that was good. That was good work. Looked good on the draft. Uh, yeah, looked sharp. So uh, shout out to him. JB, let's talk about some of these rule changes. So a bunch of different rule changes for this season. I think there are quite a few of them that favor the Argos. So let's go through them, you know, pretty quickly, but one by one, we'll go through them. So uh, a lot of emphasis on field position, on increasing scoring, the exciting plays, the kick returns, uh, stuff like that. So first of all, all no yards penalties are 15 yards. So you can't get that five yard variety. So the, <laughs> if you're not huge. familiar with the rule, it's, it's massive. Oh, it's man. massive. This is a really big change. Oh, and yeah, for those of you that aren't familiar with the rule, if you were within that sort of five-yard halo when the kick returner caught the ball, that was a 15-yard penalty. But if it was bouncing and you were within that five-yard halo, then it was just a five-yard penalty. And so we saw last year, especially with like, you know, Deadman and other, uh, you know, returners really, uh, you know, having big games, teams just started saying, okay, well, we'll, we'll just give up that five-yard penalty then. Let's, let's kick a bouncer and just, you know, get within that five-yard halo and, and make a tackle. You can't do that anymore. You know why I think this is good for the Argos? It's it you know didn't go unnoticed. They brought in a ton of kick return, punt return guys this off season. So you got Ernest Edwards, Derese Robertson, Speedy B, uh, D'Angelo Amos, Isaiah Wright, Chandler Worthy. All of these guys. Last year we were struggling to find a returner. This year suddenly there's a boatload of them, and I think that's got to be because they knew this rule was coming. Yep, love it. I think it's great. I'm all for radical rule changes. And even if it goes terribly, okay. You know, I've, I've always said that about the CFL that, you know, go, you know, try things. Why not? Why not? You know, like we're, we should be freer than our, you know, more conservative uh, American cousin. Try stuff and see what works. So I love it. I think that's a great rule change. The other special teams rule is you can no longer punt out of bounds unless it's inside the 15. Yep, love it. And if you do, it's a 15-yard penalty. So it used to be the 20, now it's the 15. Here's why I think this is an advantage for the Argos. This goes back to John Haggerty from Western Kentucky. This guy is a highly accurate punter. Not only was he averaging, uh, was it 48, 49 yards a punt last uh, season with Western Kentucky, He's extremely accurate. He has a very high uh, inside the 20 to touchback ratio. Uh, he knows exactly where that ball is going. If he does come in and ends up taking that punting job and leaves sort of BD as the field goal specialist, um, he's he's a punter that should do very well uh, with with that rule. So I, I think that does give an advantage to the uh, Argos. I think that's I think that rule is going to have a huge impact on midfield punting. Um, I hate midfield punting with a passion uh, hotter than the sun. Um, so I, I'm all for it because, yeah, okay, get your midfield punt. Okay, he shanks it out of bounds. Now you add 15. 
what, what you know what you've what have you given up? You've given up the ball for five yards of field. Um, I love it. I love it. It's ridiculous. Any team that punts midfield it drives me bonkers. So um, I love that. I think it, it puts the pressure on the punter, but I think more than that, puts the pressure on the OC because they're going to find out. Look, you, <laughs> directional punting is not. Uh, is not a science. It's an art. It's not like throwing a ball. So you can't, you can't set your watch by coffin corner. So you got to be real careful midfield. You want to punt that ball. So I, I, uh, I think it's going to in- increase the amount of times teams go for it, and that's exactly what it should be trying to do. Yeah, I see you've been reading my mail. I had written down these things to talk about exactly with these rule changes. All of these rule changes, when you combine them together, what they're going to turn into maybe less about special teams and more about going for it on third down. Because now you're at your own 50 and, you know, third and third and five, third and four, you're thinking about that. And yeah, a few you, years ago, there's no way you think about that. You kick that. it out at the 35 and then at 15, like you've given up the ball for nothing. Yeah, or it's a no yards penalty for another 15 or, you know, whatever it is. You're encouraging teams to go for it on third. Uh, both of those plays are 100% designed to make teams go for it, which they should for the love of all that is holy. Stop punting the ball at the middle of the field. And if we can add on to that, drives are now starting from the 40 instead of the 35 following field goals and rouges. Huge. So... You add, yeah, and this this adds to the riskiness of of punting as well because suddenly your one point rouge, you know, it's it's still a point, but you really don't want a rouge at you know at most stages of the game because now the other team is is coming out to the forty. Yeah, so. or even a field goal, which is fine, but you know that's that's still great starting position. So what wouldn't you wouldn't you rather a touchdown? You know, I think I think it it puts it puts more in the go for a touchdown column, uh, which I love. And kickoffs are now from the thirty instead of the thirty-five. So these these last couple of rules, these are Boris Beatty rules, right? Like yeah. this is great for the Argos. Boris Beatty, you know, teams starting your drive on the forty instead of the thirty-five. Well, you just got five yards closer to Boris Beatty's field goal range. You only need like fifteen yards yeah. now, and you're in Beatty field goal range, which is you know ludicrous. But yeah, he's he was a monster last year from from over fifty. And kickoffs, um, you know, from back from the 30 instead of the 35, again, Boris Beatty can can kick the ball off into the parking lot. So uh, that's another advantage for Toronto. So, yeah, I love these rules with the Toronto skew. And then pro- probably um, the biggest change is the hash marks. Yeah, and that's the next one. And this one I don't think is an advantage for Toronto. I think this is actually a disadvantage. So the hash marks are now going to be... Uh, 28 yards from the sideline in 20 instead of 24 yards from the sideline they're nine yards apart instead of 17 yards apart the goal for this rule change is to get the z receiver and the field side corner more involved because a lot of teams were basically playing 11 on 11 and just leaving their z out there on an island with the field corner and you know those guys just weren't involved this is a disadvantage for toronto because that wasn't the case with mcleod bethel Bethel thompson and curly Gittins jr last year Gins Jr. was playing Z, and he was one of the most targeted receivers on the team because McLeod Bethel-Thompson has a cannon. You remember some of those passes last year? They were like five-yard outs that traveled like 60 yards because the ball was on the far hash. 
he's one of the few quarterbacks that could do that. So this is a little bit of a disadvantage for the Argos, but there's some really interesting ways that this is going to affect gameplay, I think. I, I Yeah, it will. Huh, I, I think exactly like you say, in some ways it was almost like a tilted field. Um, and you know, basically everybody's running plays to the boundary. Um, and so I think that this hopefully um opens up i'd like as their hope is you know opens up playbooks opens up you know more mirror stuff uh, i'm i'm excited to see it um you know how it impacts um how it impacts teams like it, it may not to to be honest like I, I could see that maybe it 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 doesn't end up um but i think it probably helps the running games as well um cuz i think it makes it um a little, a little uh, tougher to predict. So maybe, maybe you mix in more runs. So I don't know. I, I'm fascinated by it. I, I like it. I, I'm just curious to see if Canadian high school football, um, how quickly they adopt it. Yeah, and it's it's better for field goal kickers too. Or or, you're not or kicking. CIAU or or sort of the U. <laughs> U sports, yeah. Uh, so it it still it, it drives me up the wall that you still don't call it U sports after well, the, the CIAU however plays many years at the Sky Dome down the road from the ACC. Right, right. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's going to affect positions like Z, like field corner. It's going to affect. Uh, it's going to affect the ha- the halfback field halfback position. It's going to affect the Sam position. But I think it's going to take a few games for coaches to really figure out where they can sort of squeeze out that, you know, extra little bit of, of yardage. Um, it's, it's going to take some time and eventually they'll find, oh yeah, okay, I can, I can do a little bit more of this yeah. now, but I don't think we'll really see that till that, midseason. That's a really interesting point too, because like, how will it affect field halfback? Will it open up how many people can play that side and play that position where it's almost like you're not really field halfback anymore. It's really more like like a split position, you know? So that that's interesting too, I think, from the Argo perspective, is does it open up who can play that position and how does that affect who they keep? Now, you know what I think this is going to do, which is not the intention, but I think this is going to, over time, reduce the number of Canadian receivers and corners you see. I think yeah. you're going to see an increase in Canadian in the use of Canadian linemen, especially right tackles. I think you're going to see an increase in the use of Canadian linebackers, Canadian defensive linemen, and very few uh, defensive backs, yeah, Canadian I mean, defensive backs look, and receivers. They, honestly, they used to hide people out there. Yeah, and you can't really do that as well now with the new hash marks. So we'll, we'll see. I'm interested to see that one. The last two rule changes are pretty small ones that, you know, I, I don't really care about too much. There's a 15-yard penalty for the pretending to slide like we saw. Who's the University of Pittsburgh quarterback that oh, was drafted? Uh, Pickett? Yeah, Kenny Pickett. That's right. The Kenny Pickett uh, slide rule. But that didn't, you know, I, I'd never seen that except for Kenny Pickett doing it. No, He's the only I guy. I, I've never seen it in the CFL either. Guys, no. Like, that's just not on. And, like, look, you're going to get your clock cleaned if you do that. So I think I think guys know that that's not – that is not a sustainable ploy. <laughs> I can't believe he got a touchdown on that play, no, too. but, you know, he was graduating, so, like, it's fine. But, you know, guys know you can't do that in the CFL. You're going to get – you're going to get knocked off your feet. 
And then the other rule changes, two quarterbacks are allowed on the field at the same time. I'm not a fan of this kind of offense. I actually don't mind showing it from time to time, but really only just to make the defense prep for it. I don't actually want to, I don't care to use it. I don't, no. I do, it's too, a little too gimmicky for me. I, I don't mind little gimmicks. That's too much for me. But why I like that rule change is it was just sort of silly that you couldn't do it. So every other football league that you have, you're able to do that, but uh, but the CFL. And so now you are allowed to. You shouldn't, but uh, you know you can at least. Uh, you know that's how I look at it. Well, JB, that will just about do it for us on this edition of the X's and Argos podcast. We've we've hopefully got some real football to talk about next week. You got mini camp starting up. We've got players reporting to camp on Sunday. Uh, Fingers crossed that it all goes well. Hopefully next time we talk to you, we're talking about real Argos football and camp at the University of Guelph. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the foe!